When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360 on the Outkick OTT Network and on Fox Sports Knoxville. Great to be on 1340 uh, Fox Sports Knoxville as one of our affiliates, the first affiliate for Outkick 360 coverage. Alongside Jonathan, alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, and it is the Tennessee Power Hour, which means all things Tennessee this hour. Titans, Vols, and eventually we're going to get to uh, Preds coverage and other things as the warrant. headlines warrant. Yeah, maybe. But, maybe. But Preds the aren't warranting maybe, the headlines, maybe on the Preds. The headlines today, the Tennessee Volunteers, and that abysmal performance that we saw against Oregon State. Credit Oregon State in the Sweet 16. Uh, they had been playing well going into the tournament. I thought Tennessee had been playing well going into the tournament. And the Vols made me look foolish. Um, I had the Vols going to the Sweet 16, and it was anything but that from a type of performance. Let's put it this way. They played like they didn't want to be there. That's the team that took the floor on Friday afternoon, Chad. Well, it it was uh, disappointing, and and Rick Barnes said this. There was stage fright with the freshmen, which I don't get. But both of them looked scared for the first 30 minutes of the game. Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. Stage fright for guys who apparently are going to the draft. Yeah, I I don't. Right? And, and, you know, look, I'm sure they grew up watching that tournament, and maybe there was some nervous energy with that. But you would think the nervous energy would lead you to play harder and not just so scared offensively that you're paralyzed. Tennessee looked paralyzed in that game. Oregon State, granted, give them credit. They're playing great. They played great in that game. They shot well. Tennessee gave them way too many open shots. Tennessee had open shots they could not connect on. They took bad shots also throughout the game. Their offense was bad. They'd have a chance to go up and score and try to make an extra pass and throw it out of bounds routinely on a fast break. It was, it was disappointing. And, guys, this is the knock on Rick Barnes. And it's, it's the one that's warranted. I, I will defend Rick Barnes all the time against a number of different crit- critiques. He's a bad tournament coach. The record bears it out. I don't know what happens to his teams in the tournament. He's really not figured it out over the course of his career. Now, I'll also argue when you look at Shaka Smart not winning a tournament game, I think that he was underappreciated for the great job he did at Texas. There's no basketball tradition at Texas. Until Rick Barnes got there and for 20 years won at a very high level. So I think that's some of it, and some of it's unfair criticism. But this team, for whatever reason, could never figure it out. They would look great against Kansas. They'd look terrible for two games. They'd look okay for a couple games. They'd look bad. Bottom line, they never knew how to play with each other. There was never any cohesion. They never figured it out offensively. They never knew where their teammate was going to be at any given time. And for that reason, you get blown out in your first round of the NCAA tournament. That's what happened. One thing on Barnes that strikes me there are a lot of very good college basketball coaches who struggled in the tournament for a very long time and then ultimately broke through. I'm thinking of Bayheim in particular. 
you guys might think of other names. Um, but it took them a long time, took them a long time, took them a long time. They became known with a reputation like Barnes had. And then ultimately, finally, they got there. Barnes maybe has that breakthrough someday, but it seems like his has just lasted an extended and extended and extended period. Well, what, what's fair on Barnes this season? How good was this Tennessee team that he was actually coaching? Well, the talent... Maybe not as good as we judged it to be. Well, I think the thinking well, the first was, season they were they were judged to be extremely right. talented. But is that a media creation, or is that something that devolved as the season went on? Then ultimately ends we up with what we it. saw, and that's on Barnes. I think what happened. This is to me. This is how I'd sum up the season. They started out great because early in the season, coming off of a pandemic, also, and everything that went into that, defense wins. I think defensively they're very well skilled. They're very well trained. They were good defensively pretty much throughout the year. So I think they got off to that. I think it was a 10-0 start yep. based on defense. But as teams play together more, Arkansas is a great example. Moses Moody comes in as a freshman. They're not clicking on all cylinders early. They get red hot and carry that out because they start to figure each other out and they develop a flow offensively. Other teams got better as the year went on. Tennessee didn't because they never got any flow. A couple reasons. One, their two most talented players were their two freshmen. They didn't really start to assert themselves until later in the year. But these two freshmen know one style, and that is an AAU one-on-one -on -one style. They weren't great together at any point. It wasn't like Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson were great as a duo dishing off to each other. They were great going one-on-one -on -one or taking the ball to the basket. The other factor is John Fulkerson wasn't very good throughout the year. Eves Ponds wasn't great offensively. He's just not a great offensive player. But I think you combine all those things, and it just goes back to it was a poor coaching job, top to bottom, offensively this year, and it was a poor job of, of meshing as a team. And, and that's why you got the results you did. And some of that, I, I agree with all of that, some of the meshing as a team thing, look, you have to forecast some of that, but some of that, you can't know. You're just kind of counting on it to come together. Once in a while, and this has maybe been the case too often with Barnes, once in a while you have a team that just doesn't come together the right way, and it's an unfortunate thing. I, I'm not trying to make an excuse for Barnes. I'm just saying you see it yeah. sometimes. Football, basketball, whatever the sport, a team that doesn't come together the right way is the undoing of a, of a season. We saw flashes of it, though, and we, we, we saw – Never raw, raw talent and potential gel early on and then start to come back together towards the end of the regular season and tournament time. And then that team that we thought was coming back together shows up in Indianapolis and looks like that. Yeah. I made the comment to you during the watch party on Friday, Paul. I thought when you start, when you see some of these jumpers they were taking, it looked like you just rolled the basketballs out in the yeah. middle of the Y I'm not exaggerating a bit here, but you just roll them out for warm-up shots before you even start getting going in your routine for the figure eight for practice, Chad. They were just taking little jumpers as if they're just trying to get loose. And then everything felt tight, but at the same time, the mannerisms and just the, 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 the feel of that game it felt like they didn't want to be there, and that that it was. And Oregon State had such a different feel. Yeah. So the contract, Oregon State didn't have any of that early. We haven't been in the tournament tightness or anything. They made like it that. easy on Oregon State. But remember, 
last week we talked about you're going to tell pretty early on the teams that are tired of being stuck in the bubble and going just staying in their hotel room or in a hotel lobby mm-hmm. and then going to a practice or a workout and then going to a game and that want the season to end. I know Rick Barnes said before the SEC tournament that the season took a toll on his team, and he said I think most college basketball players are just ready for it to be over and ready for the season to be over. Tennessee looked like a team that was ready for it to be over. Regardless of how excited their fans were about the tournament and a chance of redemption at a very uneven regular season, they did not appear excited at all. They had about one five-minute spurt where they got it to ten with about eight or nine minutes left where I thought that, okay, here they come. They started pressing. They got a couple turnovers. They were playing at a different intensity level. But outside of that, Oregon State wanted it more. They got it. And now for Rick Barnes, you've tried the one-and-done route. You're going to have another one coming in next year. Not a bad thing. They need a point guard. They got the number one point guard of the country coming in in Kennedy Chandler. Rick Barnes does better with developmental players. He did better with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield than he did with Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, two probable lottery picks after one year at Tennessee. So you got to readjust the roster and find out what you need. They haven't done great with transfers. And this is a team that's going to be heavy in the transfer market. Walker Kessler, right before we went on air today, announces that he's transferring from North Carolina. That's a seven-footer that Tennessee was one of the three or four finalists for. They're going to be in the market for him. They need a proven big man to transfer in. There's a lot of roster decisions now for Rick Barnes about approach and and what they want to be as a program that they were two years ago in his deepest run in the tournament, had a great shot again to the Elite Eight, lost in overtime to Purdue in the Sweet 16. What do they want to be now? Because now it's a program that can get one-and-dones with the success they've had. Do they want to keep going that route, or do they want to be that developmental program they were two, three, four years ago? I agree with what you're saying about how it appeared as though they didn't want to be there. Uh, there's only two or three teams I would point out that gave off that vibe with their first game. Uh, Tennessee, of course, but Georgetown's the other. Like, who else from this weekend, from this great first and second round matchup weekend, could you say, you know what, that looks like a team that's just had enough of the COVID yeah, season. Tennessee was bottom They're tired three. of being locked up. They're ready, to go back to, they're ready to go back to whatever university they're from. They're ready to go back to Knoxville. Tennessee and Georgetown look like those teams. I can't name another university that showed up in Indy and looked like that, that gave uh, off no, that impression. North Carolina got beat by 30, and they were done early. I mean, I think North Carolina was one that, you know, that's North Carolina. They've got some guys headed to the NBA also. They're probably not thrilled with being in the 8-9 game to start, and I thought Wisconsin looked supremely motivated in that game. I mean, there were a few examples. Um, I, Tennessee was just always a team that they allowed their offensive problems to affect the way they looked on the court. And that was evident early on. We were sitting there, and I'm saying, I don't know if Tennessee's going to score 15 points by halftime. They were at nine for about eight or nine minutes in the game, stuck at nine points. I mean, it was was an atrocious performance. But, again, for for Tennessee to go out that way, it's got to force some reexamining of what they want to be. I think John Fulkerson's going to come back. I really do. I don't think he wants his Tennessee career to end with an elbow to the face and getting a concussion and being knocked out of the postseason. I think there's a good chance he comes back. Will they have someone step up to the level of Josiah Jordan-James? I thought he made a big leap from year one to year two. Can he make a bigger leap in year three? And then do you get something from someone else? 
Is there a surprise on the roster that isn't even playing right now? Devontae Gaines, does he take a big step where he's a, a contributor next year? You add that in with Kennedy Chandler coming in, Tennessee's going to be a tournament team. They're going to be expected to be a tournament team again next year. Those expectations aren't leaving anytime soon. They're no longer the underdog. They're no longer picked second to last in the SEC and winning the conference. They are going to be a team picked in the top five or six that's expected to go to the NCAA tournament. They did a terrible job playing to expectations this year. Will they adjust and be better next year? That's on Rick Barnes, who I believe is going to lose an assistant or two again this year because guys on his staff are getting interviews for mid-major head coaching jobs. That's going to be another issue with Tennessee moving forward with some of those guys who have been recruiting for them. So you leave this season with more questions than answers. How how much has he had to replace since he's been to Tennessee? A year ago, Rob Lanier left for Georgia State, and that was his top assistant. Kim English is interviewing at George Mason right now. He's been there one year, but he's thought of as an up-and-coming big-time head coaching prospect, former NBA player and played at Missouri. And uh, I think Des Oliver is another guy who's had – he had head coaching interviews a year ago. He's going to get more now. I think he took his name out of the running for one job that he interviewed for already. But these are the top assistants for Tennessee. I would think people want to work for Rick Barnes. I mean, I, I would Mike Schwartz is another one who got an yeah. interview recently that we've had a chance to interview, who's, who's a bright basketball mind. He's, would, their, he's their defensive coordinator that's an for attractive, Tennessee. That's an attractive job, and him bringing people in who are then coveted is a good thing for the university, for the program. Any chance Springer comes back if he doesn't get the review he wants? Keon Johnson's a lottery pick, right? Yeah. Keon Johnson. Springer doesn't get that type of evaluation, is there any chance he comes back? The last one and done was Tobias Harris, right? So it's, it's interesting with Springer because it's so all over the board where he's projected. I went to the ringer and I'm looking at an NBA draft preview and he was the 13th prospect listed. Keon Johnson was six. So they have him as a lottery pick. And you go to, I think, the ESPN rankings, he's 27th. Right. So he's borderline first or second round. So it's all going to come down to the reliable people that are talking to him and finding out where he projects. Um, If he's a borderline first, second round player, I think he'd be wise to come back and be the guy. I mean, if Jaden Springer comes back, he was the leading scorer this year at 12.5 points per game. He is going to be the scorer for Tennessee and the go-to guy a year from now. So that'll be interesting. I I would still be shocked if either him or Keon Johnson. Keon Johnson definitely gone. But if Jaden Springer comes back, I'd be shocked for Tennessee if that happened. There's a lot that happened for uh, news-wise over the weekend with uh, the Vols, of course, but also the Tennessee Titans. We get into Isaiah Wilson, who lasted, did he last three full days in Miami? With the Dolphins? Well, not in Miami, but with the Dolphins on their roster. We get into that. Where does Adoree Jackson land? And what have the Titans done at wide receiver? That is straight ahead on the Tennessee Power Hour here on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad, where can you find us for the podcast? You can find us wherever you get your podcast, Jonathan Hutton. That's where you can find us. Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Bumble. I don't know where all you I don't honestly don't know. Hinge is another one that I've heard about lately. 
Every day I, I'm going to learn about a, a new, I don't know. No, there's a thing called Hinge. I was, Trust me, there's a thing called Hinge. I was waiting on Chad's grinder reference. Yeah, Ashley Madison, I think, actually airs our <laughs> podcast now. Yeah. So many different places you can get our podcast. It's amazing where all the places you can get us. Amazon. The I'm, learn, I'm just going to hear a different app Amazon. every day, and I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to end up saying Hinge. something that's going to really get me in trouble because I'm going to have no clue what it is. But wherever you get your podcast, you, you can, can now get this you can Outkick also, 365 podcast. You can order it at Amazon, and they have this thing where you could go pick it up in the locker at Whole Foods. You know about that? You no. order You order Amazon stuff, and instead <laughs> of getting it delivered to your house, they can t- put it in a locker at Whole Foods. You go pick it up. So you could get you could get. Why the, would you? So what's, what's the incentive for ordering on Amazon? Well, you can get it same day at the locker if you're willing to go get it instead well, you can't of just go to whole foods and buy it at whole foods you have to order on amazon to get it well, at whole no, foods? like if you're ordering something that whole foods doesn't carry amazon <laughs> will deliver it to whole foods to a locker and today or to your house tomorrow so if you're willing to meet them halfway so to speak so i'm saying you could get the podcast delivered to you at, at at uh, at whole foods and you go get it at the locker may i make a quick appeal to our audience always so I love the permission that we ask of each other, knowing well, that we you don't were, really you were on a roll with your Whole Foods thing. So I wanted to, I had to ask permission to break in and, and say this: download our podcast, subscribe, rate, review. That's going to help us immensely. We are starting from scratch when it comes to a podcast. We got into the top fifteen nationally of sports podcasts on iTunes a week ago, starting from scratch. We have to continue to grow this. Tell your friends, tweet about it, post on Facebook. Do something like that. You may win something at some point for doing that. We don't know when, but we're going to give you something at some point. Do all these things. Rate it. Do all of that. That's going to help us big time. Also, if you go and leave a rating, I would ask that you leave a good one if you like what you hear. If not, don't leave anything. But if you go and find our podcast and in the rating, you're complaining about us being on podcast. That's probably not the forum to leave that rating. We have a rating up there right now and a review from someone who is pissed that we're not on radio and says that he doesn't like podcasts. He's leaving this after having found us and said he loves the show and he found us on podcast. I would expect the person that has those feelings are incapable of finding podcasts. So if you're capable of finding a podcast, you go and find it you know how to leave a review and leave a rating on there, but the review is that you don't like podcasts. That's not the forum to do so. But again, please rate, review, subscribe, do all these things. But if you want to go to our podcast page to tell us how you prefer radio to podcast, that is not the place to do so. Here's the other thing. We're coming to radio soon. Very, very soon. Chad. I don't like this basketball game. It's not a football game. Yes. Guys, you know, normally I like basketball, but I hate basketball on television. I like it live. <laughs> this is their le- that is they're leaving on the March Madness app watching it. I-, I can't believe that we have the ability to watch this game on, on video streaming. I'd prefer to be there live. That's the-, that's the equivalent. Shout out to Fox Sports Knoxville, by the way, first radio affiliate carrying the show this evening. Very we nice. love them. Here for Outkick 360. Can I quickly? Sorry. I was going to quickly just say something back to the tournament for a moment. Okay. I don't know what took me so long to discover this, but I decided it while I was watching them lose, which I loved. I hate West Virginia. I don't know why I have not made this decree earlier. This is a school that felt uh, it was appropriate to uh, enroll Pac-Man Jones, 
who I uh, saw the spot on a barroom floor where he smashed a guy's face in with the pool cue. Yes. I hate Bob Huggins, and he's now lo looks like Dracula on the sidelines with the, his mask, his beard poking well, out. Someone said he mask. also looks like he's leading a Civil War reenactment that with too. that fluffy goatee okay. that he has. We could have a, a long stream of things about the Bob Huggins' look. Um, Morgantown is it's okay, but it's in West Virginia. <laughs> I, I, I don't like... West Virginia. And I don't know what's taken me so long to make this decree. But among the schools that I do not like, I'm putting West Virginia much higher on the list. And I've never decreed that I don't wow. care for West Virginia before. I hate West Virginia. Boom. West Virginia is one of those schools I have no um, love for. But I just no moved them either. from that I'm column. very indifferent on West Virginia. See, I was in that column. And I'm taking them from that you column and I'm moving them over to this hate there. column. I get yeah. it. I get it. I love Bob Huggins, though. It is amazing how quickly group. the NFL has taken Isaiah Wilson from the let's give him a second, third, fourth opportunity to the column of no return. And that is where the offensive tackle finds himself now. Uh, now out of the league within 10 months of being drafted in the first round and out of his second NFL organization in three days after the Miami Dolphins acquired him in a trade where they were handed him Isaiah Wilson just to give him just to get him out of Nashville and off the roster in exchange for seventh round picks where the Titans get the Dolphins seventh round this year. The Dolphins will get the Titans seventh round pick next year for the three day swap of events there. Isaiah Wilson, uh, for, for the amount of people, guys, that have clamored and jumped to his defense saying, you know, here's, here's a player who just, who just needs help and Stop, stop ripping on him because he, he needs help. You can do both. Yes, he needs help. He can go get help and be out of the NFL. The, the fact that the Titans waited as long as they did to bolt him from the roster is insulting. And the fact that John Robinson drafted this guy. Think about that. In the first Less round. Less than a year ago. In the first round. John Shame. Robinson drafted the guy. Shame. And now he's continually putting himself on video. Uh, Vaping. The, well, the most recent one, I think it was probably the same day, he's discussing those on social media, calling him lazy because it's in his Twitter handle, and you know, and how that he has been working out since he was, what, 14 years old. Uh, have fun doing that at the local look like Y. It doesn't look like it when his shirt's off. Yeah, have fun doing that at the local Y. Uh, because uh, it, it's embarrassing what he's done. Look, all, all he had to do, I mean, they didn't ask much of him. Show up on time for what? He was late for his physical. He was uh, late for a meeting. And then he pledged to show up for a couple of workouts that they had set up for him. He didn't show up on those. Look, if you can't be on time in the NFL, in the NFL, uh, you're doomed. I mean, that, that's, they're, they're not making special rules for, for a guy you know, the in The NFL and most respectable businesses in America. But, no. yes, continue. Yeah, so just, just show Showing up. Showing up on time is a, is a prereq for everything. Right. Yeah. And certainly for your second chance after you're, you were completely out of, from your first chance for, for botching everything, for doing drunken donuts on a major thoroughfare, for threatening to jump off a balcony rather than get caught smoking pot at a – a party going on during COVID where you weren't supposed to be at a, a Tennessee State University dorm, uh, on and on. Wrecked his car a couple times. Probably we still don't know, we know what he did. We still don't know what he did for the suspension after the Indianapolis Colts game where he played in four snaps. 
Yeah. I think it was a, just a general accumulation of. No, uh, he did. Some, why did he play? Why did he play in that game then? Why did he play? Why did he play if they were going to suspend him after the game? Like so, something happened yeah. on that trip for him to be suspended the week after for one week. Yeah, don't know. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, the non-football illness. I mean, he definitely has uh, mental problems that somebody needs to deal with. Nobody's, nobody's able to get through to him. Here's the one last thing I could see happening with Isaiah Wilson is he disappears now. Though he's not going to disappear because there's going to be this social media presence which he can't <laughs> stop You're himself right. yeah. from being involved in. But if there, anybody wise ever gets to him, which is not going to happen in short order, he disappears like from the social media scene and everything. We don't hear anything of him or about him for 18 months or two years. And then somebody conceivably, if he's been gotten to, if he's on medication and comes to his senses, he quietly emerges as a training camp body for somebody and gets one real last chance where he convince, his agent convinces somebody that he now is, is regulated uh, and, and ready to be a, a responsible citizen where he's one of 90 players in camp, maybe the 90th player in camp. And somebody says, well, if this guy has it together, he has a, a, an NFL body if we can reshape him. And, you know, maybe he winds up on our practice squad. We beat him up for a year. And, you know, then if you can turn him into something, you'd be really, you know, potentially getting something. Is there any reason to hope for that at this stage? Absolutely not. But I could, that's the only road I could see is he goes away now for a good share of time. I'm getting really tired of media members disciplining fans for being disappointed in a first-round bust to the level of Isaiah Wilson. Now, we just got done talking about E.J. Liddell and how you should not ever, ever message a player and go after them and threaten them or say awful things to them in their, in their message. But I'll say this, too. Any Titans fan, Dolphins fan, NFL fan, hell, fan of sports or high-level business that's disappointed and wants to make fun of Isaiah Wilson for blowing opportunities and doing things like this, I'm all for it. The guy deserves it. He is lazy. He may also have mental issues. He may also have substance abuse issues. I can't have sympathy, though, for someone who will not ever seek help or listen to advice from someone. That's where you lose me. I felt bad for Josh Hamilton when he went to rehab a couple times and then got photographed out hammered at a bar. Because he's clearly a guy who wants to do better, he wants treatment, he wants to be okay. I'm not going to sit here and throw a pity party for a guy who milked an organization for millions and made that kind of money and didn't even show up to work in two different places and got a second chance. I'm sorry, uh, but I'm not sorry. Because you have every right to be disappointed in that person. Do I hope that he figures it out one day and he actually contributes to society other than whatever the hell he's doing right now? Yes, I do. Is that happening anytime soon? Probably not. Why? Because he doesn't think he's got an issue. He thinks what he's doing is smart and everyone else is the idiot. I've got a problem with that and it's okay for you too as well. Agreed. And it's okay to question the organization that said, we want team first, accountable, trustworthy, Tough, love physical players who love football. And 10 months later, this is the result Look, of the draft pick. If love ball 
is your number one thing. The Titans really, not only did guys fail the love ball test, Isaiah Wilson and Vic Beasley first among them, the Titans failed at administering the test, right? If that's your number Massively. one thing, that is not a hard thing to determine, I don't think. You guys think that's hard to determine? That should be very easy, looking at a guy's history to determine if he loves ball. And I don't know how you miss on Isaiah Wilson loving ball and Vic Beasley loving ball. You could have called anybody in Atlanta to find out about this Vic Beasley loving ball. This is more than a miss. Ball. This is a setback. And yeah, yeah, because you have a ripple effect of missing on a number one pick. You could have gone a lot of different directions there. You could have, I, I don't know, you know, you maybe didn't get well, the trade out what they out have to do wanted. now. Absolutely. And right tackles got an, got an issue. Look, that didn't turn out to be a great pass rusher there, but you you can go best player available there and go a lot of different directions. Um, hell, if you take Christian Fulton at 29 last year, uh, round two early, then you're doing something else in the second round that helps your sure. roster. They're all different kind of permutations. But it has a ripple effect for at least four years, which, by the way, is all the Titans get out of their first-round picks. <laughs> we, had, we had this conversation lately. They should be getting five. They should be getting second contract. They should be getting eight, nine. Uh, it's, it's awful. On this one, they get zero years. Really. Adoree Jackson, uh, the most recent first-round pick, well, Corey Davis, same draft, uh, who is, is no longer with the team. He's meeting with the Giants. He had dinner last night with friend of the show Logan Ryan in New York, New Jersey. Uh, so they could be teammates again there. He's also reportedly going to Philadelphia later this evening if the Giants allow that to happen. Uh, but it looks like NFC East for him. Uh, for the reporters who think in, in New York, if they land a Dory Jackson, it's a great thing. I don't disagree if they're just looking at the last time the, the guy played. Right. He barely played last year. But if you rewind a year, like we can do right now, uh, in, in 2020 when they picked up, or 2019 when they picked up the fifth-year option for a Dory Jackson, all was well. You know, it was a, a player who was improving in his physicality and the tone set on the outside. I was coming off a great year three and then didn't play in year four. Think about it, about Adore Jackson, if you're banking on him to be your uh, some kind of large solution, is he's not consistent week to week, right? So there'd be a week where he shut somebody down, and next week T.Y. Hilton would right. light him up, and he would say, hey, I'm totally accountable to that. T.Y. Hilton got the best of me today. In the NFC East, in the New York or Philadelphia market, you have one of those T.Y. Hilton games. You are getting destroyed in the, in the public. And yeah. it, how does Adore Jackson handle that? He's never dealt with that to that degree. And the way he seemed, for the lack of a better word, soft upon his return this last year, we had no answers and was talking in code and seemed very protected by the team. If there's any semblance of that left next year, any semblance of 2020 left, as opposed to a return to 2019, I think it could be a dangerous recipe. I'm very curious to see. It's certainly not worth a $10 million cap hit or $10 million no. cash payment. No. And so I'm very curious to see what the contract is as well. I'm curious if you guys got the same vibe. I, the, the Titans internally don't want to talk about injuries, period. Period. The vibe I got was they were frustrated by Adoree Jackson not playing sooner than he actually played. He returned in December, I believe it was, Paul. Yeah. Finally. Detroit the vibe game, I received was 
they took him off IR for a reason, and then three weeks later, the guy still wasn't ready to play. It took five weeks. Yeah, it took a lot longer than expected. Yeah, and I wrote that. There was internal debate. He's a track guy, and he's one of those guys that feels like I've got to feel entirely right before yeah, I get that was back. My, that was and, my theory last season, Chad. Yeah, and about they the track felt guys. like, and, and they felt like he look. You don't have to feel hundred percent before you go. Guys are playing right now who don't feel hundred percent. Why do you have to feel hundred percent? There was was friction on this issue, and as desperate as they were in the secondary, I'm with them, dude. You, if they you're eighty yeah. percent, you know we understand you've had pain with what I reported was patellar tendonitis, which can hurt like hell. But that was a long timetable for patellar tendonitis. Well, so here's here's where we get back into the Titans culture and what they want. Team first, football guys. If you take, I can understand the mindset of. If I go out there at 80% and look awful and I'm getting touchdowns scored on me, my agent's going to come to me and say, you know, it doesn't matter that you're 80%. Those stats and that film is going to show up when you reach free agency, and they're going to be quick to cut you, and you're going to have a hard time going somewhere else. So you better feel right, and you better be at your top game to go back in there. But the competitor in someone would say, my guys are out there struggling. They need me out there. Even if I'm 80%, I'm better than the backup option at 100%. So I can understand the Titans, if Mm -hmm. that's the case, wanting to move forward from a guy who protected self above team and said, I'm not going out there at 80% because I can see where an agent or even yourself would get in there and say, you know what, this team's not going to protect me. This organization's not going to protect me. If I go out there and suck and I'm giving up 80-yard touchdowns because I can't run, the way that I want to run, and that's that's my game is predicated on me running full speed, then I can understand the team saying, well, we kind of want guys that aren't thinking about the way they're going to look in a game or their next contract. We want a guy that's out there when the doctors clear you, and we're saying it's okay to play because it helps your team. Well, he waited till he was close to 100%, and then the film sucked, and then he lost the $10 million contract. He's going to wind up making less money maybe over the course of the contract, who knows, but certainly in the short term. So he hurt himself on all levels. Josh Reynolds, the newest Tennessee Titan. We discussed the wide receiver acquisition coming up on the Tennessee Power Hour here on Outkick 360. The Titans signed veteran wide receiver Josh Reynolds. Welcome back, Outkick 360 across the Outkick OTT network, Fox Sports Knoxville as well this evening, alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us and glad you're with us across all of the different platforms, including YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and more. So the Titans go out. They have signed Reynolds, 6'3", roughly 200 pounds. Tall, lanky receiver, possession-type receiver, uh, a, a guy who could go up in traffic and, and make a contested catch. Coming off of a career year as a solid number three option in L.A., can he be a number two option for Ryan Tannehill, Paul? I think it's hopeful. Can he be? Maybe. Can you count on him being right now? Absolutely not. Um, he doesn't bring the speed element that I'm looking for, though he's good at separating. He knows how to get open in a way that doesn't necessarily involve him running away from people. So I'm encouraged by that. Look, 
the Titans are desperate for two wide receivers. It would be very hard for them to draft two wide receivers who could both be top three wide receivers on opening day. Josh Reynolds can be a top three wide receiver on opening day. Cam Batson's now your fourth. All right, so now you're going to be four deep. The number two receiver on this team is going to be a high draft pick, I presume. Um, so I, I like him in that regard. Is he Corey Davis? I think absolutely not, not right now. You know, if they develop him and, and find the right ways to use him, it, what's his ceiling? His ceiling would be, you know, a, a number two. Well, that, but could be, I think, yeah, that could be his ceiling. I think he's probably it's also Corey Davis number ceiling. three. Here's the other thing that I think. I think that the Titans are probably, my sense is, less concerned with having a designated slot guy. Right? I think Josh Reynolds can play in the slot and outside. I think A.J. Brown could play in the slot and outside. I think the guy they draft may, you know, he, it's fine if he's a designated outside guy in base. Uh, that's fine. I just, if he can play inside, that would be great. Then you have three guys who can all play inside, and you can mix and match based on the game and the matchups and all of that thing. The day of having Adam Humphreys, who's purely a slot guy, uh, may be over, and that's probably a good thing versatility-wise. You could also line up Ferkser in the slot some now, uh, who's going to have, I think, an extended tight end role. And so you've got some more diversity and versatility. Uh, I like Josh Reynolds, but I think people who are saying we've found, we've, we, the Titans, have found Corey Davis's replacement are being way too hopeful. And it's funny to me how with some free agents, like everybody wants Josh Reynolds to be great, and with some of these other signings, like the uh, uh, Janoris Jenkins, oh, my God, that guy's nowhere near good enough to be a top cornerback. Well, what are the levers here? Well, so Josh, Josh Reynolds versus Corey Davis, if you're comparing the two. There's no comparison statistically. Josh Reynolds' best year was his last year, a little over 600 yards. Corey Davis had over 800 yards this You know, he's had better seasons. He was also the fifth overall pick that was given better opportunity. And Josh Reynolds was on a team with better wide receiver depth. Josh Reynolds was a fourth-round draft pick out of Texas A&M, not given the same opportunity as Corey Davis. So if you want to compare the two, you have to compare it with these are the opportunities now that Josh Reynolds will receive. And you could argue, we believe, given the Corey Davis level of opportunity, he can be a similar player. But on face value, statistically, given their career so far, not the same player. Corey Davis is superior. I also don't think Corey Davis is the number one receiver. No. So Josh Reynolds could be a very good number two receiver. This could be the Titans saying that. Corey Davis, we know, is a good number two receiver, probably not a number one receiver. So... It all depends on how you look at Josh Reynolds now, given those Corey Davis opportunities. Before this signing, they're absolutely desperate. They have to have two wide receivers. After this signing, you can relax a little bit. Yeah. So they need to draft a very good wide receiver. But with Reynolds and Batson behind A.J. Brown, you have the substance of a reasonably, uh, you know, you're not dead at wide receiver. The, they have reduced the... Urgency. The urgency, but the urgency is still there, just like it's still a corner, right, right. or the right. defensive back But they've in reduced the urgency with Jenkins What's and Johnson. Let's look at it from you. the player perspective now because reportedly, and he's coming from an offense where Cooper Cup and Robert Woods led the team in receiving. They had a good tight end game as well in L.A. And then there's, there's Josh Reynolds. Uh, reportedly, the Kansas City Chiefs were also interested in Reynolds. Which is a good sign. 
And you have Reynolds, who it's a reported one-year deal. I haven't seen the money and the compensation yet. But if it's a one-year deal, especially with the team like the Titans, who doesn't have a, a ton of cap room, I would imagine that, that the offers were similar in nature, right? What's the appeal to try to do a one-and-done or cash in after a one-year contract here versus in Kansas City? Well, there's more opportunity here. Um you would think uh, now you also don't know who the draft pick is, right? So there's right. a little more uncertainty here right now than there is in Kansas City. Um, and they're selling you probably on that to a good degree. Um, here's another thing we don't know. Maybe you have a better sense of it than I do. What kind of blocker is Josh Reynolds? Because, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not big, you guys know this, on a wide receiver's number one trait being a blocker, though we heard a lot about that during of Corey Davis during his first three years where he wasn't nearly as good of a wide receiver as he needed to be. He blossomed in his fourth year. But the Titans need their wide receivers to block. That's yes. part of the Derrick Henry thing and for each other. I don't get the sense looking at him and knowing what I know of his game that that would be a forte. Now, you can teach that, but you also have to have some of that in you. You have a sense for that? I, I don't, don't. I don't. We'll although have to ask around on that a little bit. Uh, my guess is that's one of the adequate. reasons they're bringing him in, honestly. At least adequate. Yeah, yeah. because if you look at a lot of the Derrick Henry highlights, Corey Davis is oh, he was walking down He was terrific at it. And A.J. Brown's runs. terrific at it. They're both yeah. terrific at it. They both have that hard nose uh, attack to and it. And the physique for it. The, jo the, Josh Reynolds is lankier, le less, oh, less, he doesn't yeah. have, he's not thick like Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. He's right? built more like a Justin Hunter type. Yes. Which is Which, a type they went away from, but he doesn't have Justin Hunter you would think speed. is a great blocker, but doesn't mean he's not an adequate blocker. That's right. So they address wide receiver. Uh, we, we know that they have re-signed over the weekend Tyson Brylow. They've made that official, Paul, so... They've, three deep at, they've at added their, you know, they've added to their offensive line. Still think they have to go and address defensive line. They have to looking at a safety uh, and, and another corner, another wide receiver for sure. Um, not necessarily another ranking needs receiver. right now, but they, they the, the retooling is far from over. Far from complete safety. I, I get what you're saying, but they've been pretty much three deep at safety for the last few years, and they've been okay with that. So if Crookshank is back, and I presume he's healthy. Yeah, he spends half his time on IR. Yeah. But they could conceivably be three deep with Byard, Hooker, and Crookshank. Um, and they can always draft. You know they're always going to draft a DB that's kind of cornerish, safety-ish. So, yeah. that, you know, he could be a hybrid, kind of uh, a, a guy like Hooker who could play in a way that's a hybrid DB kind of guy. We'll see. They're definitely drafting, uh, I, I think we would agree. In the top three picks, there's got to be a corner. There's got to be a wide receiver. Third one to me uh, is up for grabs. I, I, I would be okay if the, if the young pass rusher uh, – wasn't necessarily that high if they go out still and get a uh, another veteran pass rusher be it an older guy like Kerrigan or the guy from the Rams whose name I'm forgetting now who I know they liked in the past the young guy who had seven sacks and 15 pressures over the last two years who I think they liked coming out of college whose name is not on the table well now you face the dilemma do you go out and get that player or does that player now wait on the market 
after the draft. draft or post June 1st too, they'll be exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's the that's the next date to, to watch. Guys, uh, the NCAA tournament continues. I, I for one am thrilled that we have NCAA tournament action on a Monday evening uh, this year. I know uh, it felt a little weird on Thursday not having games last week, but now we get to go home and watch all these games in prime time again on a weeknight. Yeah, first Monday night NCAA men's tournament action. That's not yeah. the national championship. And then we're game waiting. In a while. Then we wait till Saturday, right? Yes. For the next tip-offs. Now the next cycle for Sweet 16 Elite Elite Eight. Saturday and Sunday, four games each day in the Sweet 16. Monday, Tuesday, Elite Eight games, two each night. Yeah, so. that'll be a little bit weird. But, hey, tell me when it's on. I'll, uh, I'll be there. Same. Hit us up on social media in the meantime, at OutKick360. Like and subscribe to our podcast. Big th- uh, thank you for a thumbs up on YouTube if you're watching there as well. Catch us tomorrow, OutKick360 at OutKick.com. Can you see that sign down there? You know what it says? Don't block the box.